Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter 13, the first 17 verses. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,673. 1,673. Here now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. As far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. I'm not sure if any of you have personally experienced a foot washing ceremony or something of that kind. Back in my high school days, so many years ago, I was part of a a ministry, it was a weekend that uh, young men would go away to discover the faith, to find their Christian conviction, and it was associated with uh, the Methodist Church, and prior to going and serving on these weekends, camp weekends, or whatever you'd like to call it, retreat weekends, Uh, the people who were leaders or who were serving would have some training exercises, meetings where they would gather and and train. And I remember showing up to one of these, and I didn't know what was on the agenda. I didn't know what was going to be going on. I didn't know uh, 
what would we be doing that day? And uh, they said, all right, so the first thing that we're going to be doing is we're going to be washing each other's feet. And, of course, the first thing I think of is, when was the last time I cut my toenails? And how bad do my feet smell right now? It's a bit of an uncomfortable experience. One in which you're learning the humility of serving another person. And that was the point. They wanted us to understand what it meant to, to serve these young men who were going to be going on this retreat. That it was much like getting down on your hands and knees and washing Carrie Gephardt's dirty, long-toenailed feet. I started cutting my toenails a lot more often after that. So where do we find ourselves today in the Gospel of John? We find ourselves in a transition. I told you last Sunday that this was Jesus' last declaration, his last crying out to the crowds, the Jews. You could say, in in a very real sense for the Gospel of John, that was his last act of his public ministry. Jesus is no longer on the road anymore. He's not going on tour. He's not performing on the stage. He's in private. He's now speaking to the ones who are his in the world. And that's exactly what the first three verses of John chapter 13 speak to us. We're told contextually that this is the Passover feast. So for the other gospels, we would think much more like this is the Last Supper. This is John's Last Supper that's going on here. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Over and over again in the Gospel of John, we've been told, his time had not yet come, his time had not yet come, his time had not yet come. But here we're now told, his time had come. For him to leave this world and to go to the Father. This is an expression that describes in John's Gospel the act of dying on the cross. That Christ's death and his resurrection is not simply a humiliation, but it is one that leads to an exaltation. It's one that leads to Christ returning to where he is from, in the bosom of the Father, as, first, as the first chapter of John tells us. That he who is from the Father is now going to return to the Father, to be ascended into heaven and to sit at the right hand, right? And we're told these words, having loved his own who were in the world, This here is meant to be an expression of familiarity, of closeness, of community, of intimacy. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I think a better way to phrase this, one that's more in tune with the original wording of the Greek language... It's actually a footnote there in your Bibles is, he loved them to the last. He loved them to the last. The word here is telos. 
It's where we get the word teleological. It means the end. He loved them to the end. That we are supposed to see in these next few chapters, John 13 through 17, as Christ begins his journey to the cross, as he begins to speak intimately to his disciples, that he is expressing his love to them to the end. That is, to the very end of his life on earth, to the very end, all the way up to the reaching of his passion, of his pouring himself out for them upon the cross, of his descending into hell, that we are supposed to see all this as Christ loving them to the last, to the end, loving us to the end. And the very first thing that we see expressed here in Christ loving them to the end is an act of self-deprecating service. That's why to love them to the last means for Christ that they would see the true nature of their salvation. That Christ brings salvation through humility. Christ brings salvation through humility. And he shows us this in three ways that I hope to bring out for us this morning. And the first is that he foreshadows his salvation. He, he, he gives us an expression. He gives the disciples an expression of what loving them to the last is going to look like. And what it's to look like for us. And then he talks about how salvation is accomplished in his interaction with Peter during the foot washing ceremony, foot washing experience. And then lastly, he shows us what salvation is to look like when it's applied, when it's applied to our lives, when he then gives his expression of what the foot washing has meant and that he calls his disciples to go then and do likewise. So let's look first at the foreshadowing of salvation. In verse 2, we're told the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. This is important for us to understand because it's a very true and real expression of Jesus following through with his word when he called us to love our enemies. That when this loving them to last occurs, when this act of service that is a lowering of Christ happens when Christ puts on a towel of a slave and does what only a slave should do by washing the feet of his disciples. He's also washing the feet of his betrayer. Judas Iscariot, the one whom he knows will turn him over, will betray him with a kiss. In verse 3, I, found, I find profound. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Here's what this is saying. Jesus knew that in this moment, God the Father had given him all authority in heaven and earth, and that soon Christ would be ascending to sit at his right hand. 
that he would be exalted. It's an almost glorious picture of, of a king, a throne, of, a, of sovereignty and authority, right? It's this great majesty, this picture of, of power and authority given to Christ. And then look, the next thing he does. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verses 3, 4, and 5 are almost a perfect picture of the life of Christ, a perfect picture of the Christian life, one of humiliation and exaltation, one of knowing that being, before being exalted, one must be humbled. That Christ here in this moment, knowing that all authority has been handed to him by the Father, that he is soon to return to the Father, does not what we would expect someone to do with those words, but rather humbles himself, taking on the form of a servant, as Paul would say in his letter to the Philippians. Is that what the Christian life looks like for you? Is it one of understanding and knowing that we are called to serve, not to be served? Something to be considered. He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. It's important for us to understand that the act of washing of feet was a common occurrence at dinners in this day and age, in this time period. It's important for us to understand that the way in which they would sit at tables was not as we do today, sitting up, but they would recline. The table was on the ground, there would be pillows around it, and they would sit like this, reclining. So their feet would be out. And it's important for us to understand that it is only the lowly servant, the slave, who is given the task of so far as going to take off their clothes, to wrap themselves in a towel, being near nakedness, and going around and wiping up the dirty feet that of people who would walk around barefoot with sandals on, getting the dirt of the, of the land of Israel all over their feet. This is not something for the Son of God to do. This is not something that the Messiah should be doing. And we see that all the more clearly with the boisterous, boastful, expressive words of Simon Peter. He says, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. When Christ here says, later you will understand... He's not saying later like, you know, six verses later when then I come and tell you that what you are to do is what I've done to give you the lesson that no master is greater than his pupil and call you to wash each other's feet as well. What Christ here is saying is later when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, you will understand the significance of this. You will understand the meaning of this. 
And why is it that Christ says these words when he gives an explanation himself to the meaning of the washing of feet later on in our very passage this morning? It's because there are multiple meanings to what Christ is doing here. Multiple meanings to what it means that he is showing him his love to the very last, to the very end, to the telos. And that is the one thing that is occurring here is that Christ is foreshadowing his salvation, foreshadowing that salvation comes through service, that salvation for them is not going to be what they think. This is going to be something that Simon Peter has to get over and over again, doesn't he? When they come to arrest Jesus, what Simon Peter do? He wants to grab his sword out and he wants to slice the ear off. Right? Why is that? Because in Simon Peter's mind, Jesus cannot die. He is the Messiah, the one who is going to lift up the armies of Israel to go after the tyrannical leaders of Rome, who's going to bring back the kingdom in all its glory of Solomon's day. He's going to be the new political leader of Israel, the king, like any other, like unlike any other king, greater than Solomon himself. You can't fault Simon, Peter, for thinking this. So many in his day thought this was what the Messiah would do, who he would be. And Jews today still are looking for such political leaders. Yet here's Jesus. And what's he saying? He's saying... To Simon Peter, the salvation that you are looking for, that you think that I am here to bring, is not going to come by might, by power, by the sword, Peter. It's going to come through the humility of putting on the garments of a lowly slave, of getting down on your hands and knees, And washing the dirty feet of people like you. What do you mean? Peter, it's going to come through me being falsely accused. It's going to come through me being whipped, having my back torn to pieces, shredded like paper. Peter, it's going to come through me bearing the burden of my very own death object up the hill to Calvary, to Golgotha. Peter, it's going to come through me having nails pierced through my hands and my feet. Peter, it's going to come through me having my side pierced where blood and water is going to come out. Peter, it's going to come through me dying. You don't understand this now. But you will. That Christ in this moment is foreshadowing salvation by showing Peter that salvation comes through service. Salvation comes through humiliation. Salvation for them is going to come through the Son of God, the very Messiah, 
the promised one of Israel, the Prince of Peace, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Word become flesh, dying. That's salvation. And right now, Peter is thinking with all worldly wisdom. He's saying, that doesn't make sense. He's saying, how can I understand that? He's saying, just like the Greeks, that a dying Savior upon the cross, bringing salvation to a world, being King of kings and Lord of lords, doesn't make sense. But soon Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, will come to see the truth of these words and will one day himself know the meaning of it as he's carried away and dies the death. Christ dies for the sake of his testimony. But what about salvation accomplished? You see, Peter's not done arguing with his Savior. He's not done arguing with Jesus about washing his feet. Maybe Peter was thinking, like me, he didn't know the last time he cut his toenails or how bad his feet smelled. So he's saying, no, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus, you, you are to be one who is lifted up. You are to be the one who is served, not serving. Jesus, you are supposed to be the, the guest, the honored guest of this meal, of this feast. You're not to be the one who is washing our feet. Jesus, I should have been the one that got up and put the towel on and washed your feet. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You have no part in me. And we begin to see here at this moment that Christ is talking more simply than just about washing feet. He's talking about a spiritual cleansing. He's talking about the washing that comes through water in the Word, right? He's talking about the washing that comes through regeneration of the Holy Spirit, as Titus says. And Peter's saying, Lord, you can't wash my feet. But Jesus is saying, I'm showing you how salvation is going to be coming to you. It's not going to be coming to you with strength and power and glory like you think. It's going to be coming to you and accepting the death of a Savior on a cross. That is, that in the very act of placing our faith in a dying and a dead Savior who was raised from the dead... We are humbling ourselves, are we not? We are saying there is no salvation in us, in our own strength, in our own might. There is only salvation in the blood of Jesus. It's foolishness to the world. foolishness to the world to place our trust and our faith and our hope in one that looks so weak gasping out his final breaths upon a criminal's cross 
who says in those moments, I'm thirsty. humbling because when we look upon that cross we must see the greatest power of all. When we look upon that cross we must see our salvation and the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. When we look upon that cross we must see that salvation comes through service, that salvation comes through humiliation, that salvation comes through one who was the maker of the heavens and the earth, one who created all things that we see, seeing that it was worthy for him to die naked, covered in sin for us. Here he's speaking to Peter, and he's saying, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And he says to all of us here this morning, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you can humble yourself to the point that you are willing to let the Son of God wash your feet. Unless you humble yourself to you are willing to accept the death of a Savior upon a cross, you have no part in Him. You have no part in him. Unless you think yourself so important, so important that you would not have the humble service of Christ given to you. You have no part in him. But Peter here, he gets excited and he gets exuberant. He's saying, unless you wash me, I have no part in you. Then, then Lord, verse 9, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. My whole body, not just my feet, but everything, Lord. And Peter here is, is grasping after what Christ is meaning. He's saying, if I need to be washed by you, then not just my feet, but my entire body. And, and Jesus continues the lesson. The lesson of the spiritual cleansing that he is saying that this foot washing is pointing to. The spiritual cleansing that's going to come through his blood being poured out, his shed upon the cross. In verse 10 he says, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And what exactly is, is Christ saying here? He's saying to Peter that his once-for-all act of dying upon the cross is an act in which gives all believers the bath. The once-for-all cleansing of all sin. What did I say before? That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That all our sins are forgiven. That is a statement that is true for all ages and for all believers throughout all time. That by faith in Christ, we now have our slates cleaned. We now have the righteousness of Christ. We no longer have any of our sins held against us. 
yet our feet still get dirty from time to time. And what are we to do then when we live in this dirty world and we walk around and we are affected by the world, the flesh, the devil? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond now that salvation has been accomplished? Christ is foreshadowing salvation. Now Christ here in speaking to Peter is showing what it means to have salvation accomplished. He says to Peter, in all his exuberance, Peter, it's important for you to understand that you are clean. It's important for you, Peter, to understand that as you struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, you are not to go back to the cross as if it were the first time over and over again, to think that somehow you need the full work of the cross over and over again. That is a once-forever event. That is a once-applied event. Salvation has been accomplished, that in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and by our faith, our trusting in him, we have been justified. Yet, Peter, you should understand that because of the work that I am going to do for you, because I am going to love you to the last by going to the cross, you should understand that you have a faithful mediator and that because of my work, you can confess your sins and know that you've been forgiven of all of them. That there is still a continuing work, is there not, in the life of the Christian. We've been justified, yes, but we are being sanctified. And that sanctification, a large aspect of it, a huge part of it is to understand that repentance must continue, to understand that we will continue to struggle against our own sins, We will continue to grow in our understanding of our own sinfulness, of the depravity of our own hearts, of understanding that we need a Savior and His Spirit to continue to work in us and to cleanse us from all sins. But that is not the same as the once forever accomplishment of Christ's work upon the cross. It does not lower the value of Christ's forever work on the cross. It is a perfect work, which has been perfectly applied to every believer, cleansing them from all their sins, yet nonetheless. In this world, we must go again and again in repentance, seeking the forgiveness of our Father by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter here, he's confusing these things. He thinks he needs the whole washing of Christ. And Christ here is telling him, Peter, you have that. Because you have been washed by my word. The word which I have spoken to you. You are clean. That you still need your feet washed. And what Christ is saying here is he's good for both. That we can go to Christ for both that we have by faith in Christ had our whole bodies cleansed by the regeneration, the washing 
of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ and his perfect work upon the cross. But Christ is a faithful Savior that we can go to again and again when we need our feet washed. When we need to know and sense the forgiveness of our sins by our confessing our sins to him and to the Father and being forgiven of them again and again. Christ then continues by discussing what it means to have salvation applied. Christ's salvation comes through service, comes through humiliation. He foreshadows it in the humility that he shows in putting on the servant's garments and washing the disciples' feet. He shows what it's going to mean when salvation is accomplished and how we are to trust in Christ for the full forgiveness of all our sins by his perfect work upon the cross. But yeah, we still need to come to get our feet washed from time to time as we walk along in this dirty world. But what does it mean for salvation to be applied? It's not only important that as we live the Christian life and we sense the power of sin that remains in our lives, we go to God confessing our sins and seek forgiveness. But what are we to do with that confession and that knowledge of forgiveness? What are we to do with the words and the commands that Christ has given to us? What does it mean when salvation is applied to us? Well, Christ speaks to this in the final verses of our passage this morning. He says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. So this is Christ then almost, as you could say, taking off the costume of being the servant, taking off the servant's garments, once again becoming rabbi, becoming teacher, becoming Lord. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you to his disciples? You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Excuse me, if you do them. Well, Christ says, in loving his disciples to the last, and foreshadowing what that salvation is going to look through, look like through the humiliation of putting on the servants, the slaves' garments, and washing the disciples' feet, pointing to the cross, right? Of Christ expressing what it means to have the work of, of the cross accomplished and how it is to function in our lives. He now then says, now that you've been justified, you must know that when salvation is applied to you, it does not mean that you only believe, but that you do. It does not mean that you only hear, but that you do. And as I said earlier, not in your own strength, not by your own power, but as you look all the more to the suffering servant, as you believe all the more in the suffering servant, in the servant of Christ who came to not be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You become empowered by his spirit that he's poured out upon you to live as he lived. People of God, you must understand that the only reason, it's not the only reason that Christ did not only come so that you could believe in him, 
but that God sent his only son into the world so that you could believe in him and become like him. Don't you understand? That's the purpose. That's what we are working towards. That Christ not only came to justify us, but to sanctify us. That Christ's perfect work upon the cross is not only to forgive us of our sins, but to give us a new life in Him. That as our minds are renewed, we are being conformed. What? To the image of the Son. All it takes is a moment to realize that as we are made in the image of God and as that image of God is not broken but disturbed, is not broken but, but is not lost but broken, shattered. And as we come to understand that Christ and his coming to this world and living for us perfectly in all of his righteousness and as he took upon himself our sins and died for them and gave us his perfect righteousness, that what he was doing was coming to restore the image of God in us. And what perfectly describes the image of God is Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect representation of God. And we are called to emulate that. To exemplify that. To live as best we can as Christ has lived. Not in our own power. Not in our own strength. But relying entirely upon the power of the perfect righteousness that Christ has gifted to us. And caused to dwell within us by the Holy Spirit. Do you not understand that? Do you not see that as we proclaim the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we make the profession of faith, as we confess that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three gods, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each God and carry with them the qualities of God, the characteristics of God, that you not understand that God dwells within you. That the power of the living God And the word of Christ dwells within you by the Holy Spirit given to you through the sacrifice and perfect work of Christ poured out upon you, pictured perfectly for you in baptism. And it is by that spirit that we are called to be transformed, conformed to the image of of the Son. That's what it means for salvation to be applied to us. That it's not only forgiveness of sins, but it is a transformation of our lives. Imperfectly, of course. Covered in flaws because of the remaining sin, of course. But to know that we, when we are instructed here by Christ, to look upon the washing of the feet that he gave to his disciples. And to know that we are called to love one another in the same fashion is a powerful and gripping image. And it's one that should not feel out of reach for us. 
Does that mean that next Sunday I want you to come and bring your shoe polishing equipment and as people are walking in, you, you're, you begin to polish their shoes? No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, in the same way that Christ, the Son of God, did not see himself as, un, as below taking on the garments of a slave and washing the feet of his disciples, so shall we not see ourselves as too important, too significant, too special to be a servant of others. To do something as seemingly low or insignificant as getting down on our hands and knees and washing the dirty feet of each other. That is the kind of love that Christ showed to us when he told us here in his word that he loved them to the end. And that is the kind of love that we are called to show one another. Therefore, it's not surprising that Christ will go on later to say, they will know you are my people. They will know that you are my disciples by this, that you love one another. As Christ's salvation has come to us through service, through humiliation. We should then not be surprised that as salvation is worked out in our lives, we would be called to humbly serve one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we pray that it would empower us, that you would use it in our lives to strengthen our understanding of who Christ is, that he would become all the more our faithful Savior, that he would become all the more our only comfort in life and in death by this word which you have spoken to us today. Father, we pray that we would come to understand and to know the perfect work of Christ for our salvation as something that has been accomplished. But that yet we must see as an act that is once for all as we continue to come confessing our sins, having our feet washed as we walk in this dirty world, longing for the day in which sin will be done away with. And we ask, Father, that as your Spirit dwells within us, those of us who believe upon Jesus Christ, may you apply that salvation all the more as we strive to be conformed to the image of your Son and to live and serve as he did. <laughs> to not see ourselves as important, 
and significant. To not see ourselves as unworthy of putting on a servant's garments and washing one another's feet. But that because Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, did so, Father, that we would see ourselves as honored and taking on the same heart, the same disposition, the same attitude. And all humility, loving each other as Christ loved us, even to the end. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.